Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We have been in a series in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament for several weeks. And uh, as Johnny hinted at, we're going to be pausing that today to then do some kind of standalone stuff through the summer on this uh, summer Sundays. We're going to pick back up into Ephesians in September. But today, I'm really, really glad that God has ordained that this passage would be for this day. If you were listening to it, you'll know that I'm not saying that because this is a lovely, easy, heartwarming, encouraging passage for a nice summer talk so that you can have a little thought for the day and go home feeling warm inside. If you read it, this passage is not that passage of the Bible. It's actually a really challenging passage and it's quite convicting and there are some difficult words in it. But I'm grateful today for this passage because it comes against the lie that the essence of being part of the church is a Sunday meeting that looks a certain way. And it comes against that lie by giving us absolutely loads to be getting on with in our daily walks as disciples of Jesus. There is no mention of the location of the Sunday. There's no mention of the size of the gathering or the pros and cons of PA kits and things like that. And yet, shock horror, it's still jam-packed full of commands from God to his people that he expects them to obey. Things to do, actions to take. It's almost as if the essence of what it meant and means to be a follower of Jesus was always more than how Sundays are set up. And so what I want to do is walk us back through that passage and really let it speak for itself and let it address you and confront you with a whole load of stuff so that if your mind wanders to thoughts like, it's a shame we can't really be the church till September, you'd have a whole load of things that you can remember. There's plenty for you to be getting on with as a disciple. It all starts, as we'll see on the slide, in verse 17. It says, With the Lord's authority, I say this. Pause there. We won't go clause by clause, I promise. But we're going to pause there. Can we think about that sentence for a moment? Everything that is about to come in this passage is said to you, and us, and me, with the Lord's authority. If you're anything like me, we can slip in this moment into listening to a talk mode, into will it finish on time, will it be good mode. No to both of those questions, just to let you know. But there is a whole lot more at play in this moment in this interaction than 
does this sound interesting to me? This, is, this comes to us with the Lord's authority. The Lord, who is the Lord? If you're new to the Christian faith, the Lord is a word given to Jesus. It means the one we follow, the one we bow before, the one who rules. And according to Revelation chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is so intensely glorious that his face shines like the sun and his eyes are like fire and his mouth is so sharp in how it speaks that it's like it has a sword coming out of it and angels are cowering at the sight of him. Matthew 28 says that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus, which means that Jesus has not only all power to dictate and command and rearrange in heaven, that his voice is the one that's trembled before in heaven, the one that is listened to in heaven, but he also has all authority on earth, which means that every single bit of authority that anyone has ever had, every government, monarchy, tribal chief, prefect in your school, assistant manager in your workplace, all authority has been given to Jesus. And this passage is said to us with the Lord's authority. What does he say to us? He says this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. That is, in this context, those who don't follow God. For they are hopelessly confused. Their minds, just to say minds that are made by God and loved by God, and designed by God, and knitted together by God, and are very precious to God. But their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure, and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. What is the authoritative voice of God saying to his church this morning? He's saying, don't live like those who don't know God. Do not take your cues if you're a follower of Christ for your behavior, for what you say, for what you do, for what you watch, for what you spend, for how you conduct yourself, for what you believe is true from those around you. He's not saying, please hear me, please hear me. He's not saying, hate people who don't know Jesus. 
He's not saying shun those people or attack those people. Paul has done everything possible for three chapters to theologically shout and pastorally plead with the followers of Jesus to realize that everyone is welcome in the mercy and grace of God. That in the church, barriers are to come down and that outsiders can only remain outsiders if they choose to. But that as far as the church is concerned, everyone is included. Everyone is welcome. If you want to come to God, you can come to God. And it's not like a they're bad, we're good thing. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, it's all by the grace of God. And so you, how dare anyone in this room boast about some superiority? Blasphemy. It's by the grace of God. And so anyone can get in on it. And so we're to be a gracious, arms out wide church. As we read Ephesians, it's a manifesto for anyone can come. But in Ephesians and in the church, Grace and godliness go together. And so, Church of Jesus, we must not let those who don't know Jesus set the temperature for how we live. We love those who don't know Jesus. But we don't live like them. We live with two things in our relationships with those who don't follow Jesus. Undeniable kindness and undeniable contrast. And it's both. Now the reason that Paul gives for us not taking our cues from those around us is that though they are made by him and precious to him, They aren't in the best position to say how the followers of Jesus should live their life because, as the next slide will show us, they are, and then words like confused or in darkness or far from God. Now, let me just hit the elephant in the room. This is pretty hard language. And when I wasn't a Christian, I was not a Christian for the first 19 years of my life. And when I first became a Christian, I heard passages like this, and I found them deeply offensive, deeply offensive to me. Because like they, felt, they feel like caricatures that don't know me and, and don't listen to me and, and don't know my loved ones, none of whom knew God. And they seem like they sort of demonize lazily people who God loves. And I really hated passages like this. And maybe you're here and you don't follow God and you read that and you feel a little uncomfortable with it. And maybe all of us can call to mind people we love and we feel uncomfortable with this sort of description. But please stick with me because this comes with the Lord's authority And he is a Lord who was willing to die for people. He loves them that much. And so we can linger on his words just a moment and see if there's more than meets the eye. Because I don't think that these are random criticisms or lazy insults. I think they are statements that flow directly from who Jesus is and the consequences of setting up life far from him. Let me explain what I mean. 
For example, it talks about people being in darkness. And that, that, on one level, just sounds really mean to say. But if you think about it, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the one in whom is life, and that life was the light of mankind. And so run with the logic to set one's life up away from the light. It just is to know darkness, isn't it? That's how light works. Or think about it when it talks about people being in confusion. That is not. It's making people cry out loud. It's only a baby, but, you know, it's okay. I'm not taking it personally. It talks about people being in confusion. And that is not him saying Christians know everything and anyone who's not a Christian is stupid. The the Bible plainly doesn't think that. The Bible talks about everyone's made in God's image. Uh, Genesis borrows from poetry from other cultures to integrate into the Bible because it thinks it's beautiful. Many books of the Bible do that. So this is not a we look down on and dismiss anyone just because they don't follow Jesus. That's nonsense. But it is saying this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we believe that, to set life up far from him, it just is to be in confusion. Because when central things are pushed to the margins, we get confused. And Jesus is the heartbeat of the cosmos. And so in a culture or a life with much to commend, pushes Jesus to the margins, that is confusion. Now, what does all this mean for the church? It means yes to welcome, yes to grace, yes to invitation, yes to friendship, yes to pouring oceans of love and mercy into the lives who we love, who are far from God. But a great big wake up, whopping no to letting those people decide how we live. Now that sounds like a really hard balance and a bit of a tightrope to walk. Like, how am I going to be kind and have contrast? How am I going to have grace and godliness? Do you know there is one person who we can look to who models this brilliantly? And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus had radical hospitality and radical holiness in one. They weren't competing interests. He was both. He had kindness and contrast, grace and godliness. He was and is, at this moment, the faithful friend of sinners. You think about that phrase? That doesn't just mean that he let sinners come near him like he had loads to give them. He saw them as his friends. He loved being with them. He drew energy from spending time with them. He gave dignity to their existence. He's the son of God and he was their friend. But he's also faithful to his father. Uncompromising. It's Jesus. 
He's the cue for our behavior. He's the model. It's Jesus. Which is why in verse 20, Paul turns his attention, as you'll see, to Jesus. He says, verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Like, you're meant to follow Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus. Remember him. And have learned the truth that comes from him. We, as the church, look to Jesus for our example. And then we do three things that this passage talks about. We throw off, we let, and we put on. We throw off, verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. That is an active instruction. You think, ah, we're not meeting in King Edwards. I can't really follow Christ till September. Throw off your sinful nature. You think, I don't know what to do. I'm going on sabbatical. (laughs) There's plenty for us to do. Throw off your old sinful nature. That's the bit of us that doesn't want to live Costly lives of love for God and love for others. That's what it means to be a disciple. Costly lives of love for God and love for others. And the bit of us that ain't so interested in that, you throw it off. We had our fire training this week, which was a thoroughly entertaining half day. And in our fire training, we watched a very harrowing video of the Bradford City Stadium fire. I don't know if anyone knows about that fire. A football stadium in about a minute and a half went from being a football stadium to being a raging inferno because someone dropped a cigarette and they hadn't cleaned up the leaves and rubbish under the stand. And in this video, we watched this horrible moment where the roof had caught fire and some of the roof was falling down on fire and one bit of it on fire landed on a man and the commentator just there to commentate on like Bradford v Luton in Division 3 suddenly is having this traumatic experience watching someone is being set on fire and what did this person do as their coat set on fire? They didn't go... Tell you what, give it a few months, see how I go, and then I might address this. They threw it off because it was going to be the end of them. And what did the community around them do? Did they come and affirm the coat? They came around and they said, let me help you, let me do anything to stand alongside you as you want to throw this off. And Paul says, we are to do that with the bit of us that doesn't want to love God and love others. And then he says, let, let, verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I love this verse. It speaks to me of humility and dignity. Humility and dignity. Humility because, yes, there's some stuff that we've got to throw off. But there's also the acknowledgement that in and of ourselves, we are pretty stuck 
and that renewing our own thoughts and renewing our own attitudes is really difficult. And so, hallelujah, alongside a command to obedience, there's a command to openness to the Holy Spirit who longs to be our encourager, helper, empowerer, advocate, counselor, comforter. I don't have to renew myself. Most days at the moment, I feel like I can't even lead myself, lead my family, lead my community group. I don't have to do any of that by myself. I can let the Spirit renew my thoughts and my attitudes. There's a humility. I need Him. You know, last night we were at the half night of prayer. And as I mentioned that, all that weren't there feel morally bad for not being at it. And that is not my point. Because do you know what? When I pray, it is not because I'm a better Christian than those who watched Netflix last night. It's because I am desperately aware that I need help. And so I pray. There's a humility and then there's a dignity as well. It doesn't say that the Spirit's just going to do it to us but rather that God the Spirit is going to partner with us and asks us, he asks us to let him. That's really interesting. I spent some time on Friday with uh, two brilliant ambassadors of Jesus in our city, Imi and Helen. And they were telling me that they were about to visit a vulnerable person in the community and they gave me no identifiable details of that person they didn't break any codes of conduct, just to clarify. But they were telling me that what they wanted to do was come and advocate for this person and help this person and strengthen this person and empower this person. But they so see the dignity in this person that they refused to just barge in and take over, but rather their hope was that slowly but surely this person might let them. And when the person lets them in and starts to want their advocacy and empowerment, well, then there's something. And the Holy Spirit is the same. He stands ready to help us, but treats you with dignity to the extent that if you decide to shut off from him, he is not bashing your door down. Will you let him renew you? that's a bit vague here's a start ask him to and then thirdly it says put on verse 24 put on you've got to throw off you've got to let and then you've got to put on your new nature created to be like God truly righteous not a show not religious hypocrisy truly righteous from the heart and holy. If the old nature is a coat set on fire that's killing us, then the new nature is like Joseph in the Old Testament or the famous musical, depending on where you get your truth, um, being presented by his father with this beautiful, stunning robe to wear, a robe that he hasn't made 
because Joseph couldn't make that robe. He hasn't created it. He hasn't bought it. Joseph hasn't got money to buy it. But that his loving father has created for him to put on so that he can be clothed with love and he can be seen as the one the father loves. And it's like that with us. God has a new nature for you. A new way of being when we believe in Jesus that is able now, able now to live lives of costly love for God and others. But we have to put it on. We have to put it on. Oh, it's a shame we can't be the church till September. What? Put it on. And live it out. Now I'm getting to the end. And maybe you're thinking, but practically though, Rich, what does that mean? And this is where, if you can hang tough until we pick up the rest of Ephesians in September, then you're going to know how to apply this passage. Because what Paul does in the next few chapters is applies this idea, throw off the old, put on the new, to a whole load of practical things in our lives, to our sex life, to greed, to substance abuse, to marriage, to parenting, to dealing with your parents, to dealing with those in power and privilege over you, to dealing with the power and privilege that you have over others, to spiritual warfare, to prayer. That's what the rest of Ephesians is about. But Paul closes this section by just touching, throwing out. You know that thing that Jonathan does when he preaches? And he goes, um, how does this apply your, to your money, to your parenting, at work, at home? And it's like, bah, 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 bah. like the list comes out. It could apply to you in all these areas. That's from the Bible. That's what Paul now does. And he shows that there's a whole load of areas where you've got to throw off the old and put on the new. So verse 25, don't we love a table? Look at that. You, that is the essence of church. You're welcome. Verse 25, throw off a tendency to lie and put on telling the truth. Verse 26 to 27, throw off being controlled by your anger and put on an eagerness to control your anger. It's fascinating. It doesn't say anger is bad. It says, be angry about the right things in the right way and you control it. Like Jesus, who was a very angry person at things that were worth getting angry about. Verse 28, throw off theft and stealing and living to take from others and put on working hard and living to give to others. Like Jesus Christ, who pours himself away. Verse 29, throw off foul and abusive language and put on good, helpful, encouraging words like Jesus who had gracious words pouring from his lips. Verse 31 to 32, throw off, what am I going to do all summer? Throw off bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, put on kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness like Jesus. We're done. And my dear, beloved friends and family, we are not going to gather all together in this room or this school till September, but there is so much to go and live. 
May we go and be disciples of Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you help us to this end? The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, would you help us to live for you? Thank you for our new robe. Holy Spirit, we let you renew our thoughts and attitudes. And we even more actively in that we ask you, we invite you, we agree with you, we yearn for you. Would you renew us? In the name of Jesus, amen.